0: Dear Shooter, do you know what your reticle is used for, or did you buy it because it's pretty? Just like eyelashes, sometimes less is more.
1: Of course I have it. just checking because I'm like getting
0: the
2: stink eye here. <laughs> Go do your thing, but get good at your craft first, and put your budget to things that really matter to you day you want to get good at it. And make no mistake about it, that's training. Let's face it. If you have a size 62 waist, you are not as tactical as 511 might think you are. <laughs> and we've all seen it. <laughs> wow. I feel the love. There it is. <laughs> and Brandon Jackson. All of the sensibility of the
1: Welcome to the Deer Shooter Podcast. I am your host, Jason Crotto. Dear Shooters, brought to you by Wiotac Empowerment through Self Reliance and Lucid Optics on target under budget. <laughs> wow, that kind of hit a little close to home. Pretty reticle?
0: Yeah, you have a few.
1: But you, I know how to use them.
0: If you can no longer see your target, it's too much.
1: Maybe well, there, I like looking through a chain link fence.
2: There is a lot of reticle design out there that is functional that is fashion what i'd like to do today is kind of cut through some of the clutter of all that and i use that word very specifically but let's ask a question real quick um you shoot mills yes you shoot elr you shoot prs if you're going to spend the money on a rifle scope that is in the thousands of dollars um, you're making the assumption that the folks that make that rifle scope have an idea of what ballistics are doing.
1: I would like to hope so.
2: And they're giving you a measuring tool in that reticle, right? So, why is it that you're dialing shot to shot?
1: I'm not. I'm at 20,050 without having to dial.
2: Fair enough. But, I mean, you've been to shooting classes and schools. Yes. I mean, we're talking high level stuff. That yes. They insist they, that you dial. Yep, right, they so, do. With all the information that is below your zero. Now, your zero is where your crosshairs meet, the very, very center. Right. Right? Whatever you choose that to be. With all this information that are below that for ballistic drop and some hold-unders even, Mm -hmm. um, let's talk about dialability. Let's talk about field of view. Let's talk about the increments and such, magnification ranges. Let's, Let's go ahead and get lost in the weeds a little bit about reticles. Right. So... I'm a believer of clean, see your target, radicals have meaningful, useful increments. But there is a whole lot of folks out there that want more than that. Yeah, why?
1: Uh, I can't tell you because I I'm in your camp. I I want something that's clean, useful, that I can use holdovers because the shooting that I do typically. So we're talking NRL, NRL hunter. You don't have a lot of time to sit there and dial every shot. And if you've got the information in the reticle, go with it.
2: Well, I'll play devil's advocate for a second, though. I mean, if it's a time issue, then some of those reference points are meaningful. If you have a wind or a moving target, some of that Christmas tree does have value. Agreed. But at what point does it become confusing and lost when you're trying to find your target?
1: I've seen some reticles. Um, I had a student come through long range class a year ago and I looked through his scope and his reticle and I'm sitting there going what the hell does all this mean it was it was way too much to the point where and especially when you start dialing up with it with a first focal plane scope where the reticle grows and shrinks in relation to your magnification you start dialing it up you're getting up to 15 16 power you can't even hardly see the target through the reticle
2: well, in those reticles specifically, in the first focal plane environment, on the low end, can you see it? No. Isn't that a problem? Yes. Okay. So, But how do you balance that out? Because you've got a first focal plane environment where on the low end, you can barely see the crosshairs. Mm-hmm. On the upper end, they get in the way of everything, and right. you feel the view is restricted to the point where you can't see. I mean, it's a physics issue. From an optic standpoint, we're not going to get away from it. no. But you got to balance that out somehow because right. we make rifle scopes to fit on top of shooting platforms that are application driven. Right? It's a competition rifle. It's a hunting rifle. It's a plinking rifle. At the end of the day, it's a tool, right? right? So it's a measuring device
1: mm-hmm.
2: at best. It's a measuring device. If you go ahead.
0: So how do you feel about those reticles that are caliber specific?
2: Okay, so caliber-specific reticles drive me absolutely crazy because the second that you put one on a rifle that is outside the test bed specifics, you're wrong.
1: Right. Well, and what about what – you're not even getting any of the ammunition part of it.
2: Well, so you you have a 5.56 reticle, right? Mm -hmm. It's supposed to be calibrated for the 5.56 round. But what is that? Is that the 34 grain, the 55 grain, the 62 grain, the 75 grain? I mean, right. What is that? Is it in a 10 inch barrel? Is it in a 20 inch barrel? Right. All of that factors into what your bullet's going to perform downrange at. And we're mm-hmm. talking we're talking about ballistics, right. external ballistics. Now, nobody knows more about this than Brian Lutz, and I follow him quite regularly. And quite honestly, I'm a glass geek. I am a ballistics nut, and He gets lost in the weeds to the point where sometimes I have a hard time following him. Right. But from an industry-specific kind of topic, if I'm going to put out a reticle, you can't make it caliber-specific because I have no clue of what platform that's going to be put on.
1: Right. And you've been really good about, you know, you keep it MOA or mill.
0: Oh, oh, I love those. It makes him shudder. The mill reticle. With the MOA turret. Let's not
1: talk about scopes just yet. Uh,
2: they exist, and they are real, and
1: they are, they are really frustrating. It's
0: for those of you who like calculus.
1: It's not even calculus. We tried to plug one into Strelok, and it flew us the finger. Right. I mean,
2: it is a problem. There's a lot of companies that are putting reticles into riflescopes, and some of them are high-end that really are very really niche and specific. And or, if not, just flat out wrong.
1: So is this is this a problem with the engineering, like the engineer is not a shooter?
2: I, I would say yes. If you boil it down to absolutely the, the bare necessities of the design problem, you got to understand what the tool is being used for mm-hmm. and how that tool is being used to even understand what kind of a tool to give the guy that's going to use it to make it useful. Right. So... We see a large gamut of absolutely no information. And in and, and, and a hunting scope, that makes sense. If you're going to be strictly between you know, 200 and 500 yards, your reticle can be a duplex reticle and work just fine. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's actually a proven system on all magnifications. It's a, it's a very simple, you know, hold the crosshairs on the back. If it's a little bit further and go to work. Mm-hmm. But if you start using it as a precision rifle instrument, where, I mean, you went to gunsight yep. and you had several conversations both with instructors and people in the class. Right. That were oriented about what do you do? Do you dial or do you hold?
1: Well, and, and, and to be fair, like that class was very much a dialing class. And in fact, I got reprimanded on several occasions because I didn't dial, but I didn't need to. Did and did you
2: make the hit? Yes. It's pass-fail, guys. I right. mean, either the tool is doing its job or it's not,
1: right? Well, what's and, and let me ask you this. like, what, What's the difference? If I have it in the reticle and I have that reference point, if I'm getting the hit, what difference does it make if I dial or hold?
2: It doesn't make any difference at all. It's pass-fail. Right. So for me, if I'm going to provide a product for a customer, I want to make sure it's as possibly universal as it can be. Um, It has a specific unit of measure, either minutes or mils. And the shooter is responsible for knowing the ballistic curve coming out of their weapons platform. Right. To know what that tree or ballistic holdover segments are going to mean for them. In the second focal plane, and I'm going to get lost in the weeds and probably talk a little cursive here. (laughs) But in the second focal plane, your magnification actually matters greatly. Yes. Yes where in a first focal plane, if the reticle is calibrated right, and I've seen a bunch that necessarily aren't, um, in the first focal plane, all the increments are supposed to be the same.
1: So it shouldn't matter.
0: So what happens when you put that mill reticle in a second focal plane?
1: And we've seen that. We we came across a scope last year, mill reticle, second focal plane with MOA turrets. And you about how to stroke? I don't know why anybody would subject themselves to that level of torture.
2: Uh, if your increments in your reticle are metered in one thing, and your turrets are metered in another, they're not even close to speaking the same language. Any adjustment you try to mechanically do um, at the bench, at the stage, whatsoever, you have to be on the right magnification to make it work. You have to. Understand the conversion between minutes and mils to make it work. Um, We're back to dialing every shot to make your center crosshairs where you're going to hold. And that works if you know the increment of your turret. Right. But now you've messed with your zero. Mm -hmm. And we spend a lot of time and a lot of ammo refining the zero, working on our mechanics, making sure that firearm is exactly tuned where we want it to be. And the first thing we do when we engage a target that's outside our zeros is we grab on the turret and change it. That doesn't make any sense to me. Right. I know a lot of shooters that rely on those turrets to mechanically move the optic to its point of aim. But that, that, that's a lot of faith in a mechanical device and your ability to, under stress, count clicks, read a number, make sure you go the right revolutions... I mean, things like rev limiters and zero stops have made that coming back to zero easier. But once you do a stage and you have to go from shot to shot in a different distance, you can get lost in the weeds pretty quickly doing that. And if you don't set it back, the next stage is a nightmare.
1: And to and, uh, to be perfectly fair, I'll do both. Depending on what I'm doing, if I'm running an NRL stage where I've got Four targets at different ranges, I'm going to back my magnification off and I'm going to hold because I don't have the time to dial. Now, if I go shoot an F class match where I'm putting 40 rounds into the exact same target at the exact same distance, I'm going to dial that.
2: That makes sense to me. Now, I've got several friends that are precision shooters and they all dial. And they know they're dope, and they're pretty successful at what they do. But you start asking about all that information in that Christmas tree reticle that they've got that that has calculations and stuff all built into it. They don't often use that because they're dialing every
1: shot. Well, and I ask the question, if you have it all in the reticle, why are you dialing?
2: And I've never got a great answer off of that other than, well, what if I don't have time to dial?
1: I haven't either. Other than people needing some butt cream after I ask the question, and, and they <laughs> want to sit there and defend why they do what they do, and I get it. Okay, fine. If if you're if you're dealing with three different targets that are arranged that are half a mil off, okay, fine. You want to dial it to four, and then all you have to do is is deal with half a mil holding. I get that.
2: What are we talking elevation or windage? I mean, We're, if you're a half a mil off, you can make a micro adjustment and go to work on the course.
1: These guys are also these guys are all dialing elevation. Nobody nobody dial, I I don't know anybody that dials wind other than Elr.
2: I've got guys that they dial wind. Um, wind's why not, wind's not a constant? I don't understand why you would ever dial wind, but
1: the because as soon as you dial it, the wind has um, changed.
2: That's I agree with you, but you know that turret on the right dictates that you have the ability to. Use, so why don't you? Why would you?
0: Well, because where we're at, the wind changes directions at every target on the way out.
1: Well, we've we've seen it on our on our home range. We've seen four different winds at different ranges.
0: Maybe we have the dialing issue because those first focal plane people like to crank up that magnification because they have to see every divot.
1: Now you're just picking on
0: the, the. on the target, and so now they lost most of their reticle because they've magnified right. beyond belief.
1: Okay, so you touch on the subject, and let's look at that. Let's look at magnification. I knew we were going here. Oh my God.
2: <laughs> All right, so I'm going to say it out loud. Go ahead and fight me later, but magnification is not your friend. No, it's not. From an optical situation, from a physics look at you lose field of view, you lose resolution, you lose available light. You, you, you can't get around it. I don't care how much you spend on the optic. You might mitigate it to a 2 or 3% degree, but at the end of the day, magnification will always rob you of those three things.
1: Well, let's 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 you yeah. know step away from the rifle scope world and let's go in the binocular world. Okay, you make two binoculars, the Correct. B8s and the B10s, okay? 8 magnification, 10 magnification. I will take the eights all day long because I get better resolution.
2: Now, the, the tens I brought in from a sales perspective because the male ego wants that extra two power and it's, it, it's about I, I have to have that extra magnification. Not that it's actually any better optically because it's not. Um, I personally, I run the eights when I hunt because the resolution's there, the field of view's there. Um, you don't lose a whole lot going from eight to ten. But it's a noticeable difference to where, for my money, I'll buy eights.
1: Agreed. So let's, let, let's go around the table here. Forget about, because I know both of you are MOA shooters. Your second focal plane, MOA shooters. That's, that's where you live. I'm a mill guy. I run my scopes typically between somewhere between 10 and 14 power. What do you run yours at?
0: I'm usually between 6 and 12, depending.
2: Okay. If it's my, my match gun, which is a, a 6 Creed, I, I run between 12 and 14. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's my Magnum caliber hunting rifle, which in Western States is kind of handy, um, I, I live at 21 and a half.
1: Okay. But, but, that's, but you're, you're dealing with your ballistics and the reticle.
2: Correct. Because at twenty one and a half in my second focal plane environment, I have everything I need from an ethical shot placement without ever having to touch my turret.
1: So it it from my perspective, because a mill is a mill is a mill is a mill, it doesn't matter what magnification I'm on.
2: Well, the same not, thing with minutes though, a minute's a minute, no matter what a minute it is. True. You just have to know what scale you're looking at when you look at your measuring tape.
1: But I'm not I'm not gonna bump it up like oh, okay, if I'm if I'm Zeroing, I might bump it up to 20, 22 power. Otherwise, I live about 12 because I want that field of view because I want reference to my other targets. And I Correct. have seen this in a training environment where people shoot the wrong freaking target because they're, they're zoomed in so damn tight, they, don't, they have no reference to what target is actually theirs.
2: Well, and no matter what environment you get into, shooting the wrong target, that's mission fail. Right. Now, if it's hunting, you you got a problem. It, you might end up in bracelets over that deal. If it's an F glass match, you disqualified yourself and maybe the guy next to you because you shot his target.
1: Right. Well, and I and and I, I mean, and I've noticed, I have scopes that go up to like thirty five power. I've never run them that high. Because you lose so much resolution, I almost can't distinguish the damn target at that point.
2: I think anything you you get above the 25 power mark, you're you're very specific target environment. Um, A lot of the air gun guys I know, they like their 35 to 40 power optics because they're dealing with X-rings that are smaller than an aspirin.
1: Right. I get that. And I can see that.
2: But they're not going target to target.
1: They're they're also not shooting out past 200 yards.
2: And air guns are different. But they're still not running, you know, well, separate and, and distance targets at the same. Strength.
1: And NRL twenty two will do the same thing. Agreed, very very. But so so
2: back to the the, the discussion at hand. The stuff in the reticle matters. Yes. Right? And you need to understand at least at the bare minimum the unit of measure you're looking at. Mm-hmm. So either embrace minutes or embrace mills, and if you do mills. Make sure you understand you're doing it because it's a language barrier between you, your spotter, and everybody else at the match. And it came from the military, so we put it up on a pedestal as if it's better. It's not. It's just different. It fixes a language barrier between the guy that with the small arms fire that has to call in the artillery or the airstrike. The guy that's got a, an effective range of plus or minus 60 feet on his artillery round, he's dealing in mills. It's a coarser scale. That makes sense to me. Right. But small arms fire... Deal with the most precise increment you can, and minutes are more precise than mills just by definition. There's a lot more clicking involved if you're going to spin your turrets, but at a, for example at 100 yards, that one minute is a one inch cone, right? Mm-hmm. That same one mil it's unit three of three and a half, right? It's, it's three point six, right? At that same hundred yards, so. If you have to dial, it will get you there faster, but it's not as precise. Your margin of error is larger. Right. A lot of guys that shoot mills, it's pass-fail. They're hitting steel that are two minutes or bigger right. out at distance. Now, two minutes. We're back to a minute increment in a mill solution. Mm-hmm. So it's a trig problem right out of the gate. Right. Understand your unit of measure. Right? So if if you're talking minutes versus mils, multiply times four, mm-hmm. and you'll be in the game. You're not going to be as precise as you maybe want to be, but you'll be in the game. If you try and zero in a mil scope, right, 10th minute, I mean 10th mil,
1: my bad, 10th mil increments. It's going to hurt your feelings because that's a bullet whip. At
2: 100 yards, it you'll bracket between one side to the other of mm-hmm. your actual aim point.
1: And you'll make yourself crazy.
2: You will. and it's And it, that's on a good shooter day. Right um the equipment say say it can hold a tenth minute right and that's three eighths of an inch group um in the f class world that doesn't cut it no you won't even go home with a t-shirt that
1: way no because i you know we're we're at, even at the mid range f class match you you're, you're six hundred yards you're shooting a three inch target
2: your x ring is two and a half inches yeah mm-hmm. it's tiny for six hundred yards right but minutes versus mills it's a language thing. Understand what you're doing and, and, and go with what you understand. Back to reticle design, right? In a rifle scope, it's more than just the geometry of the reticle. You were talking about it's a measuring tape that's going to be useful for you over distance. And it has to marry up to your ballistic curve. Right. Which means if you're going to grip a turret and turn something, right, you have to understand the increment that, that turret's providing. We have run into, very specifically, recently, an abomination of an optic. And I'll go ahead and call them out since they're not in the space anymore. Nikon produced this optic back in the day. Oh. Yes, it had a mill dot reticle. Now, it's the old, I think it's the Army-style mill dot. It was the Marine. It was the Marine. Because it was the Oval. The Ovals. And it was only effective on a very specific magnification, Mm -hmm. which you were very rarely on. Right. And the turrets were metered in minutes quarter minute so that makes it (laughs) infinitely harder to work out the math solution on i mean you had a very serious situation in a class recently with a guy that knows what he's doing this is a a guy that's not alien to shooting right so tell me about
1: that so so i had a guy in a class and in and i'll I'll say his name it it was rob pinkus this is somebody who knows what he's doing shows up with a with a a rifle with this scope attached, um, it was a Nikon mill reticle, uh, and it was the, the marine mill reticle that only worked on 12 power. Otherwise, it was second focal plane, which screws a mill solution. Like, there, you can't do... Milling in second focal plane—it just doesn't work.
2: You can, but you really have to do what you're doing. Oh God,
0: totally a- have to laugh when you say Rob Pinkus knows what he's doing, and then he brings this to class. I'm just <laughs> going to point that out.
1: Wow, he's going to hear this, and and you know he's coming to your house like three times this year, right? For the record, we love you, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> He knows I do the cooking. He's nice. And I made the mistake in the the first part of this class of, you know, hey, look, if you you miss and your your, your spotter gives you a correction and you miss again and you're doing what you're supposed to do, it's your spotter's fault because it it is. But he's behind this rifle, and I asked him, I said, you're shooting mills, right? Yes, mill reticle. Cool. Well, I'm in a mill-metered spotting scope, and I'm giving corrections, and when I give him the correction – Now, instead of being six inches off, he's four feet off.
2: You made an assumption.
1: I did. He made an adjustment. (laughs) Based off of my, yeah. That's right. So, and he he turns around, and he looks at me like it's my fault, because technically it was. But then we start looking at the scope, and we realize second focal plane, mill reticle, that only works on 12 power, and MOA, quarter MOA turrets, and... And we laughed about this, and we brought this back in, in, in the evening. We were having drinks, and and I told you to pull this, this rifle out of the case and, and take a real close look at the scope, and the longer you looked at it, the more I thought you were going to just fall over and have a stroke.
2: Well, it's a pretty rifle. It is. It, it had a great paint job on it, and the optic looked at home on top of it, And the, but you drill down into the information displayed on the turrets, and then I looked at the reticle, it... it it started to make my head hurt because I knew what the shooter was <laughs> getting into. But that, that speaks to what we're talking about. There is a lot of reticles produced commercially out there that have very little or very limited use, scope of use. And that's not disseminated well into their sales of what they're getting put on top of. Um, the, one of the reticles that, that it makes me cringe it, I mean, it's very popular in, in some of the the, the tactical space these days, and it's called a horseshoe reticle. Um, designed by a guy named Frank Plum. I understand that, that he put a lot of effort into it from a, a tactical perspective, but it is very, very heavy. It obscures the target in a lot of ways, and it's very useful in very specific situations, and it's being sold into a commercial space where it's not being used in those situations. And a lot of folks are... Uh, not understanding why they're using what they're using. So they use the center dot, and they don't pay attention to anything else. But they bought an asset that has a bunch of information that they'll never ever even stretch out or use or use in the right way.
1: Right, and, and, and I've seen there a, this reticle, and I know what you're talking about. If I'm not mistaken, this was actually originally designed for a tank.
2: No, well, you're, you're absolutely right. It, it was an artillery refire, fast acquisition reticle.
1: And that doesn't really translate to small arms.
2: Well, if you listen to Frank, it, he's got very good reasons for doing what he did. And in that, like you said, that that design in a vacuum mentality, it, it actually works quite well in that one specific circumstance. But it's being put into red dots. It's being put into high-precision rifle scopes. And, in, again, it's, it's more fashion than it is function at this point.
1: Now, we use... And, and and all of us here, we're we're very fond of of the Lock ballistic program.
2: It's easy. It's, it's
1: it's easy to use. It's good information in, good information out. Now the the reticle that we were talking about with Rob, we Rob and I actually tried to plug this into Strelak, and Strelak flew us the finger.
2: Well, the, the math is just so absurd that it, well, why would you try?
0: <laughs> Gonna get Rob a calculator for Christmas. Well,
2: again, I love you, Rob, but I'm not sure he knows how to run one.
1: <laughs> oh, he can run a calculator. I watched him do it in the booth because he was pricing me out guns. Oh, so basic math is good for him. <laughs> wow, did I say that out loud? I'm sorry, Rob. Wow. You know, you know he's coming, right? <laughs> I do. He's going to do a tour of your shop. Mm. He's going he's to come back to your shop and see your cauldron. Well, yeah. Where the sorcery all works. So, it, 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 talking about this, let, let, I, I, I want to plug the P8. Okay. Because Mike Desargo is absolutely right. That thing is sorcery. You should not be able to take a four times magnified optic and run it like a red dot and have the reticle still be clear running both eyes open. You should not be able to do that. Well, it should not be
2: able to do it and sh- able to do it are, I guess, completely different things. They are. and What I've done with this thing is is given you the clearest possible field of view. And it's, it's generous. It's not a narrow field of view on 4X. But I've given you edge-to-edge clarity with a, a usable reticle, but it's target identification with that thing. It, it is a, a combat-oriented... Um, do-bad-things-to-bad-people kind of optic. It's not designed for long-range. It's not.
1: No. I mean, it, you're talking a 600-yard reticle.
2: At max, on most platforms. But it, it's an MOA measuring tape. And mm-hmm. being fixed in magnification, you're able to put it through its paces quite easily. It presents really, really quickly. You've got to be able to quick pick it up the second you present the firearm into position and That was more important with the optics than it was the reticle on this whole deal. Um, But keeping both eyes open, I gave you a field of view so you could do that in such a manner where it didn't kill your peripheral
1: view. Right. But but still, with, with a magnified optic and not having the proper eye relief... I shouldn't still be able to pick up a clear a clear reticle running both eyes open at room distance.
2: Well, not in industry uh, offerings. Previous, I, I would say you're absolutely correct. But the human eye only has a seven millimeter, eye, you know, exit pupil. That's the size of your iris, right? Okay. So I overdrove that to thirteen. So you very forgiving in cheek weld, eye relief,
1: position in the eye box. And you still have
2: a full field of view, mostly.
1: I get that. But fucking Eye of Newt? I mean, <laughs> really? Because there's some magic going on in there. Well, get
2: your hands on one, take a look through one, and, and if you think it's magic, then good on me.
1: I, I did it right. But <laughs> it's really just science. I know. Well, what? what yeah, and, and what is that? Any anything any technology significantly advanced enough is indistinguishable from magic?
2: From the dawn of time, that's how it's been. I mean fire at one point was magic, right?
1: Well, and and, and if we want to talk about fire we pull Brandy into this because it's not a fire unless it's singing to you. She has mastered the, the
2: audible side of fire.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And unfortunately, her granddaughter is taking up that mantle. Well, I,
2: and I'm going to throw out the, the, the gauntlet here because a buddy of mine, Matt Shawless, who works for Shaw Barrels, he likes to have bonfires. And he's in the same way. He cuts a tree down to have his fires. And in Pennsylvania, that's a hardwood tree.
1: So it so, burns for three days. <laughs> he
2: likes to hear his fire sing, just like Brandy does. So I'm going to throw the gauntlet down, and we need to sometime get together and have a bonfire with, with Matt and Brandy and decide w- which one of them's going to say enough's
0: enough. Yeah, yeah, but I'm smarter, so we're going to do this bonfire. I ain't scared, but we're doing it at Matt's house. <laughs>
1: yeah, I'm in. So when in the in the neighborhood goes down with it, okay. I'm enough.
2: totally in it. I think his HOA is going to have fun with that. but.
1: Yeah. So, so, back to reticles. Yep. Um, you and I have had many a debate. I won't call it an argument because I think at the end of the day we both agree. Um, mill versus MOA, second focal plane versus focal plane. One is not better than the other. It's what works for you.
2: Correct. What do you intend to do with that rifle platform really kind of drives which tool you pull out from a measuring device? And that's all a reticle is. It's a measuring device.
0: Just make sure your tools match. That's the key. Right. Yep.
2: Speak right. all the same language. Yep.
0: Absolutely right.
2: right.
1: Your, your, your reticle has to speak the same language as your turrets. And you can
2: get them so busy that you can't see anything. I mean, let, let's all stick back to the Horace vision for a second. Way back in the day, they pioneered the grid work system on a Horus reticle. And they had a software, and it was offered on the Palm Pilot to give you how old this thing is. (laughs) Uh, But it it did all the calculations for you, and you were allowed to size and range and do everything you wanted to with it. But from the center point of the reticle down, you could not identify or distinguish the
1: target because of the grid work that was there. Well, it's a chain link fence yeah in mills and and to be fair like i i like the horus because it gives you reference points below center but i think they could do away with about half of their points
2: but how many of us have adhd and get lost in the weeds between grids point to
1: grid point i am raising my hand and waving in the so air because i'm have, that guy
2: you can have too much information yes. so back to my original statement we're talking about a balance here
1: right right now you you showed me a reticle at one point where it was it was similar to a horse, but it had maybe a third of the points of reference mm-hmm. and I think that's the right balance go moving forward i i I can see reticles moving to that where it it you still have sort of the Christmas tree, but you've got a third to a quarter of the points of reference
2: well out of just sheer answering the the market's request and desire for reference points, I think you will see in the the m l x two reticle that's coming out probably mid year that you will find a balance between too much reference points and
1: uh, usability well i'm t- I've, I've 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 told you several times that there's going to be like a case of those that falls off the truck that could happen Pretty because much
0: you don't need reference points because you mill operators like to dial you know like a rotary phone so
1: really, me, you don't need points me? 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 really? (laughs) she embodied you in that whole discussion no she did not because every day I don't like to dial if I don't have to
2: but uh, there's a lot of guys out there and you guys can you know comment in and, and offer the death threats or whatever but at the end of the day you don't need any more information than you actually need and a true shooter doesn't need to compensate by the crutch of a grid work. No.
0: What about all the flashy lights, all the illumination they want?
2: So illumination, it is designed specifically for low-light environments or targets that are in a dark hole, and you can't pick up what the reticle perceives as black to our eye because it's a shadow zone of something etched on a glass piece of reticle, right? But illumination allows you to pick up that reference point and use it. In a dark, low-light
1: environment, that's all illumination's really for. But when you need it, it, it nothing else will do.
0: It's well, what's, handy. What's the best color now? Because let's see, Lucid's going with blue. Blue. There's red. There's green. I will take. There's probably will, a ton of others. I will take
1: blue over anything any day. The reason is blue. Number one, it it comes across crisp. If when I'm looking through a, like a red dot or even even a red reticle you' you're, you're uh, what is it the p7 reticle No, not the, the p7. old P7 yeah. yeah okay it no matter what it is if it's red, I get a flare and it's because red is is a danger color. it's irritating to the eye right Blue being the calming color it comes across crisp, clear. It also works better with night vision. it does. Red is
2: one of those colors that vibrates. That wavelength is very specifically an emergency color for us, and it becomes an operational issue because if you have it overdriven for the light conditions which you're putting it in, there you'll get flare. It'll it'll escape its boundaries and and cause ghosting and flare all over the place. Right. Um, green's a little bit less. Uh, it, the power consumption on on the battery life of green is, is problematic. But blue um, actually conserves batteries and presents a illuminated reticle surface that works really, really well, doesn't cause the flare. And you're going to see a lot of things from Lucid Optics coming from the blue spectrum because there's a lot of science behind blue. And I won't bore us all tonight with why your redactive cones and all that shit about blue. but. There's a lot of reasons why blue, so look at it.
1: But I, and, and I will add this. You can see blue in full daylight where you can't see red.
2: Agreed. You can see green in broad daylight, but your battery is a third life.
1: Right. Blue is the way to go. Go lucid
2: thanks for the plug i appreciate that i totally appreciate. <laughs> well you
1: you are a sponsor
2: <laughs> we don't do things just because somebody else has one out there you know i don't jump on the bandwagon because vortex has something i don't jump on the bagwagon because you know Loopold has it or Collis has it it has to have a function and a reason and you will find that to be one of the separators of my brand
1: well and and here's the other thing you're your optics are designed by shooters. Correct. Whereas if you look at a lot of these other optics, they're designed by people in Argyle socks that live in a fucking cubicle.
2: All too often, that's the case. And I'm sorry, guys, the rest of the world that's out there listening to this, if, if we poke at you a little bit hard and it offends you a little bit, you might want to take a look in the mirror for a second because there might be some truth bombs being dropped.
1: Brandy, anything to add?
0: if I had something to add it would have been added keep uh, going and it goes dead air
1: (laughs) uh,
2: Brandy in this actually very topic oriented discussion um, is in many of our classes we call her the humbler Um, we'll set her down with with, with a student's rifle and she'll take aim at the mile target and At 1760 yards. And that's a long reach for 6.5 Creedmoor or 7 Mag. But at the end of the day, she can sit down and make a cold bore first shot strike very often because she knows what she's looking at. She understands her holdovers, she understands the ballistics, the projectile's behavior when it leaves the barrel. Um, the environmentals, the readings. A lot of it's spotter-oriented. She's got to get some good calls, but there's a lot of shooters that overthink it, and they're looking for the reticle to talk to them in that environment. Done that. And, And it happens all too often. If you have too many things in your reticle going on and it's too busy, it's a distraction. And in a shooting solution, you just can't afford it.
0: That reminds me. We guided a hunt, not last year, but the year before, where their reticle was Bluetoothed oh, yes. to their phone oh, and yes. was to tell them where to hold. And lo and behold, we took them out into the middle of nowhere where there's no service. How many complications did they have?
2: I'm not sure if there was service-oriented or just bad data, but we took a shot at seven different antelope and either dirt hit in front of the antelope or we airballed completely because he was relying on the data from this finder Bluetooth thing to the optic and in theory it works really, really well. But if your data is not exactly right it can be a huge problem. And that's what he experienced. He experienced a, a situation where he relied on his data and his optic to tell him what to do and he didn't actually math it out and work the solution. And he missed a
1: bunch that day. Okay, so dear shooter, let me ask you this. Technology isn't always your friend.
0: I'm going to say true with those people at the Kestrels. They know what the wind's blowing right where they stand.
2: Kestrel's a good tool. It has a good ballistics calculator in it. And I've seen some guys pull shots off with Kestrels that were pretty impressive. But, yes, it's a a wind meter. If you're relying on that for wind, it's only where you're at. If you're taking a shot in the 800-yard range, you're sending that projectile up into a wind profile that's 30 feet, 60 feet above you, and you don't have any read on what that wind is. The first wind is the most damaging wind. But... The second and tertiary winds are going to drive that projectile over distance. As you reach, that kestrel can't help you than that. It's really an elevation solution. And, and in the ballistic solution of things, elevation is the easiest one to pick out. Right. Wind is the hardest one to pick out. And let's back all the way up. Um, for those of you, dear shooter... If you're having a conversation about Coriolis effect in small arms fire, you're retarded. Sorry, I I don't mean to put it out that way and be abrasive, but at the end of the day, Coriolis effect, the rotation of the earth, is a very minimal effect until you get really, really way far out.
1: And what are we talking here, 3,000?
2: Before it becomes an actual real issue, we're talking, yeah, 2,500, 3,000 yards. I understand the concept. You release that projectile, the earth doesn't stop rotating. But if you are shooting east-west, it's negated. That's the way the earth rotates. If you're shooting north-south, okay, now it's a player. But to even understand what Coriolis is doing, let's stop talking about it in small arms fire, especially if we're shooting up to 1,000 yards.
1: And, he, and, and isn't the wind going to be more of a factor than Coriolis Spind anyway? drift
2: is more of a factor than Coriolis effect. Right. Um, you put those micro grooves on the projectile, and as it spins and it slows down and starts to tumble, it's going to auger itself one way. drift is more of a factor than anything Coriolis.
1: And you always wondered how I got named the Angry Bumblebee.
2: Oh, no, I named you the Angry Bumblebee. <laughs> I don't have to worry a little bit. So this guy shows up to a shooting class that we were putting on, and he shows up at the three hundred eight. And when we got to 800 yards, he started to struggle a little bit. But he was making hits, and he he stayed in it, and he was persistent. And we had the 1,200-yard mark, and I'll be goddamn if he did not make a strike at 1,200 yards. And I named him the Angry Bumblebee because the 308 is losing its gas at that point. It is definitely out of speed and out of all kind of reliability at that point. Uh, So Jason Crotto impressed me that day and put a strike on our 1,200-yard target. Now, that's a one-minute target. It's a 12-inch disc at 1,200 yards with a 308 with a 100-yard zero. I was impressed with that. Um, He earned the name of the Angry Bumblebee, and you'll see that in his training environment these days because he's adopted it, embraced it, and it's part of his logo now.
1: (laughs) You know what? If you can't fight it, feature it. (laughs) Agree. And Brandy's looking at us like we're a bunch of idiots.
2: Well, there are ten different shows on ballistics and solutions and how we navigate that, but we started this one out on reticles. And if you are looking at a rifle scope, understand that you have a very specific purpose for that rifle platform you're putting it on, and if it suits that purpose, go ahead and buy that thing. But if you don't know what all those reference points mean in that rifle scope, Come take a class. Come take a class or you're wasting your money.
1: Right.
0: Read the manual. I know that's tough for boys, but read the manual. It's not always written.
1: in the as you might think it would be. No, and a lot of times these manuals are written by people that don't shoot, that don't understand it. You know that as well as anybody. Back to take
2: a class. Go out and shoot this thing. Make sure you understand what it's doing before you go afield when it matters.
1: May 19th.
2: What's May 19th? What do you got going on?
1: Long range class. Three-day long range. We're going to talk about mill versus MOA reticles, how they work, how to use them, what their purpose is. Bring whatever gear you got? Yep. All right. Where's this at? This is going to be at Tactical Solutions International in Crowhart, Wyoming. All right. We've got targets ranging from 100 to 2550. Oh, wow. All right and so if you're you it, stretch out. and if you don't have something that's, that's going to reach that far we will. Okay. All right. We're we're going to let you play at 2500 yards. Now is-
0: out there the wind is always a factor. Correct. Well, it's Wyoming. If Thank the you.
1: wind's not blowing, I can't hit it. This is not a basic math class. No. Okay.
2: So strap in, Buttercup. It's going to be a fun ride. Bring a calculator. Are you allowed to use you're a calculator let on course? you allowed to use yes.
0: calculators? Yes.
2: Oh, my God, he's getting soft in can't
1: do. I can't do Trig in my head. I don't expect my (laughs) students to either. All right. All right. So at this point, you probably don't understand reticles any more than you did at the beginning of the deer shooter. But deer shooter, do a little research. Get some education before you go and drop tens of thousands of dollars on glass that may or may not serve your purpose. And with that listen to us next week we're going to come up with something else to bitch about
0: hopefully not as boring <laughs>